please turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. We will continue studying uh, this portion on the Greek kingdoms at war. And we'll turn to verse 14 for the beginning of our reading. But to give honor to the Lord and to his holy word, we'll stand um, as we read God's word together. Daniel 11, verse 14 and following. Hear the word of the Lord. Now in those times, many will rise up against the king of the south. The violent ones among your people will also lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they will fall down. Then the king of the north will come, cast up a siege ramp, and capture a well-fortified city. And the forces of the south will not stand their ground, not even their choicest troops, for they will be no strength to make a stand. But he will come against him, um, uh, he who comes against him will do as he pleases, and no one will be able to withstand him. He will also stay for a time in the beautiful land with destruction in his hand. He will set his face to come with the power of his whole kingdom, bringing with him a proposal of peace, which he will put into effect. He will also give him the daughter of women to ruin it, but she will not take a stand for him or be on his side. Then he will turn his face to the coastlands and capture many, but a commander will put a stop to his scorn against him. Moreover, he will repay him for his scorn. So he will turn his face toward the, fortress, um, the fortresses of his own land, but he will stumble and fall and be found no more. Then in his place, one will arise who will send an oppressor through the jewel of his kingdom. Yet within a few days... He will be shattered, though not in anger nor in battle. In his place, a despicable person will arise on whom the honor of kingship has not been conferred. But he will come in a time of tranquility and seize the kingdom by intrigue. The overflowing forces will be, flo will be flooded away before him and shattered, and also the prince of the covenant. After an allegiance is made with him, he will practice deception, and he will go up and gain power with a small force of people. In a time of tranquility, he will enter the richest parts of the realm, and he will accomplish what his, his fathers never did, nor his ancestors. He will distribute plunder, booty, and possessions among them, and he will devise his schemes against the strongholds, but only for a time. He will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south with a large army. So the king of the south will mobilize an extremely large and mighty army for war, but he will not stand. For schemes will be devised against him. Those who eat his choice food will destroy him and his army will overflow, but many will fall down slain. As for both kings, their hearts will be intent on evil, and they will speak lies to each other at the same table. 
but it will not succeed. For the end is still to come at the appointed time. Then he will return to his land with much plunder, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant, and he will take action and then return to his own land. Let's pray. Our glorious Lord, we pray that you would help us um, to receive this, your word, and also to learn from this history that you have given to an angel to then tell to Daniel. Help us, we pray, to cherish your word, even these difficult portions filled with so much fighting and blood and uh, intrigue and destruction. Help us, we pray, to remember that you are the God of history and help us to see your use for this history in the coming of your Son, even Jesus Christ our Lord. For we ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. You know, when I went to seminary, I, I went to seminary because I love preaching. And I love theology. And actually, I did enjoy uh, some lectures in church history. I was at a church once when they had a pastor who would preach uh, basically a history series on church history, and he would go through the martyrs who were persecuted under the Romans, and I thought it was fascinating. Um, but I never thought going to seminary I would be preaching so much on Greek history of all these wars and battles leading up to the Roman Empire, which then was the time when Christ came. So maybe you, you yourself have said, you know, I like church and I like the Bible, but I, I'm not really into so much history. Well, God had a reason to put this here in the Bible. These battles, these wars, the, the fall of one king, the rise of another, God had a reason for all this. But what's most amazing about this text is the degree of detail of all of these occurrences even before the birth of Alexander the Great. If you remember, this whole chapter, chapter 11, is all the dictation or is all the detail given to Daniel by an angel. This is not Daniel speaking. This is not the Holy Spirit speaking through Daniel. This is an angel that comes to Daniel and tells him in detail all these words. Okay? So, just a little bit of a review. Daniel 11, verse 3, a very important part of history. Daniel 11, verse 3, says, A mighty king will arise, and he will rule with great authority and do as he pleases. This is after he says that this king... This, the, Greece will overtake Persia. And um, it says that he will do as he pleases and he'll have great authority. This is speaking of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great dominated the known world by the age of 30. He conquered that Persian empire by the age of 30. When, according to Josephus, the historian... Remember, Josephus was a, a Jewish man. He was actually a general in, the, in the, uh, the army of Israel. And then he fought against the Romans. When the Romans were coming to power, the Jews lost. But then the Romans took Josephus 
and used him as an interpreter rather than just a mere slave because they knew he was well-educated. And he became uh, an interpreter for the Romans and one of the greatest historians of ancient history. And one of the books that Josephus wrote was called Jewish Antiquities. And in this book, Jewish Antiquities, he recounts how Alexander the Great took, dominated, conquered Gaza, and then he enters Jerusalem. And when he goes into Jerusalem, um, he meets the high priest, and there seems to be a good relationship between Alexander the Great and the high priest. But what happens next is very interesting because the Jewish leaders then take the book of Daniel and show it to Alexander the Great. And they show him the portion wherein, this is quoting Josephus, the book of Daniel was showed to him, that is to Alexander, wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of the Persians. So they, they showed him Daniel, maybe this portion of chapter 11. And Alexander the Great said, wow, you, your holy writings tell about my coming. Well, anyway, I, I think it's fascinating. Verse 4 in today's text, or earlier in the chapter, verse 4, does say that as soon as he, that is Alexander, has arisen, his kingdom will be broken up and parceled out toward the four points of the compass. After the death of Alexander, his kingdom was divided exactly in four. And uh, as the text goes on to say later, that it will be given out, um, though not to his own descendants, nor according to his authority, which he wielded, because it'll be divided. It'll be a divided kingdom of four, and none of his descendants will get it. It'll all be of his four main, most powerful generals that take over the kingdom. So you have this major Greek empire divided into four Greek empires. Now, um, you might ask, well, why is this all written in history? Well, divided in four, but as we study the rest of Daniel 11, Daniel 11 doesn't seem to give much information whatsoever about the other two kingdoms. It only cares about what they call the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south. The kingdom of the south is the Ptolemy Empire, spelled beginning with P-T. It's P-T-O-L-E-M-Y, the Ptolemy Empire, um, which was, uh, and then also the Seleucid Empire. So the kingdom of the south, the Ptolemy Empire, the kingdom of the north is the Seleucid Empire after Seleucus Nicador. So both of them were Greek empires. The reason God in his word wants to give us details about these two kingdoms, the kingdom of the north, the kingdom of the south, is because it pertained to Jerusalem. The other two kingdoms of the Greek empire were far removed. They're not anywhere near. But these two kingdoms, the kingdom of the north and kingdom of the south, they're both fighting over dominance. And who is in the middle? God's people. The kingdom of the north, the kingdom of the south, they're both fighting for dominance. And oftentimes, as we'll see in today's text, the war happens in Judea. And there's consequences for what happens in Judea. Uh, a little bit more review. Uh, the Ptolemy Empire, which is the one that ruled 
uh, the promised land, the Jewish people first, gave great freedom to the Jewish people. The Seleucid Empire, after they took over the, the promised land, they persecuted the Jews. So let's look first at the history. We'll see first the history before Antiochus Epiphanes. That's the first main point of, of tonight's text. The history before Antiochus Epiphanes. And secondly, we'll look at the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes. So let's look first at this main point, the history before Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, very often in tonight's sermon, I'm going to be citing a group of scholars named Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. And what they do in their study of Daniel is they pair Daniel with the, with the history They'll take a passage of Daniel, then they'll give you the history that, that's behind these passages. So I'll, I'll often just say, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown uh, say very often. Let's look first at uh, verses uh, 14 and following, which give us some of the history leading up to the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes. Look at verse 14. Now in those times, many will rise up against the king of the south, that's the Ptolemies, the violent ones, this is the angel speaking to Daniel, the violent ones among your people, Daniel, will also lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they will fall down. Okay, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown wrote this. Philip, king of Macedon, and rebels in Egypt itself combined with Antiochus, that's not Antiochus Epiphanes, but a, a prior Antiochus, uh, rose up against Ptolemy. Now, again, this is not Antiochus Epiphanes, the infamous one. This is a prior Antiochus. Now, when Daniel is told that his people would rise up, he's talking about violent ones of, of the Jews who rose up. What they wanted to do is they got tired of being dominated by the Greeks, by the Ptolemies, and they saw that and that others were coming in to fight the Ptolemies, so they wanted to cause, they wanted to join the revolt along with those rebels from Egypt and the king of Macedon. But they failed. They failed, it says in tonight's text. Um, but at the same time, they fulfilled the vision that's mentioned by the angel. They wanted a free land, they didn't get a free land. Now, what's kind of strange about this history here is that you had let's call them Jewish freedom fighters. They're fighting to free their land from the Greek rule. But the people under the Ptolemies are given freedom of worship and great liberty to worship the God of the Bible. Yet they oppose those guys and instead are instrumental in helping bring about the Seleucid Empire, which is, let's just say this, vile, vile to the Jews. Verses 15 and 16. The king of the north, that's the Seleucids, will come up and they will cast a siege ramp and capture a well-fortified city and the forces of the south will not stand their ground, not even their choicest troops, for there will be no strength to make a stand. But he who comes against him will do as he pleases and no one will be able to withstand him. He will also stay for a time in the beautiful land, that's Judea, with destruction in his hand. 
Okay, so whenever you read the beautiful land, it's mentioned multiple times in, in, in uh, Daniel, the beautiful land. Uh, other translations, I think the New King, J I'm sorry, the King James calls it the glorious land. If you have a King James version, it's called the glorious land. Okay, but I like the King James translation at the end of verse 16 better. It's talking about, you remember, you got the war between the, the two kingdoms of the Greeks, the southern, king, the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom, and where are they fighting? They're fighting in the promised land, Judea, the beautiful land, the glorious land. And the, the King James Version translates it this way. He shall stand in the glorious land by which by his hand shall be consumed. Okay? What happens when you got two war, two, let's just say, uh, two great armies coming into one land to fight? Destruction. This is, was foretelling that because these two kingdoms are fighting in the promised land, much of the beautiful land, the glorious land, is going to be destroyed and consumed by the fighting. And uh, Josephus and other historians can attest to the destruction that happened uh, in the fighting. It says that Judea was largely consumed by these two wars, I mean these two uh, warring uh, parties. Verse 17 says, He will set his face to come with the power of his whole kingdom, bringing with him a proposal of peace, which he will put into effect. He will also give him the daughter of women to ruin it, but she will not take a stand for him or be on his side. The daughter of women mentioned here by Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown is Cleopatra. Now, maybe you didn't know this, but I, I, get, I always thought of Cleopatra as being an Egyptian. But really, she's a Greek because she's, a, she's not a part of the Egyptian people. She's a ruler of the Ptolemies who conquered Egypt, so she is a Greek pharaohess. Now, um, there's some history about uh, Cleopatra that's rather vile. Um, some historians say that she's the product of incest, and as well as she had uh, relations and married two of her brothers because they were likewise Ptolemies. But this arrangement here was to bring about peace. But it says, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, it says, instead of at once invading Ptolemy's country with his whole strength, he prepares for doing so by this plan. He gives to Ptolemy Epiphanes his daughter Cleopatra in marriage, comprising a uh, Syria, parts of Syria and Judea as a dowry, thus securing neutrality in the war with Rome. But Cleopatra favored her husband rather than her father, so defeated his scheme. Okay, so what was, trying, what was happening here is that you had the North and the South warring, but now they're, they're not only fighting amongst, amongst each other, now the Greek Empire has to fight against Rome. And they were trying to make this pact of joining the North Kingdom and the, South, the Southern Kingdom with using Cleopatra to, to, as, to get married, and then that would bring together the North and the South 
to then fight against Rome, but it ended up failing. By the way, uh, Cleopatra also, in, in addition to being rather vile and incestuous, um, was also claiming to be a goddess at times and uh, was a rather very wicked lady. Verse 18. Then he will turn his face to the coastlands and capture many, but a commander will put a stop to his scorn against him. Moreover, he will repay him for his scorn. Now this verse, verse 18, foretells the battles that happen between the Greeks and the Romans. And the fighting for these coastlands has to do with them taking coastlands from the Romans, but then he's stopped by this Roman commander. Now let's look next at the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, by the way, um, Antiochus Epiphanes was not the only one to have this title, Epiphanes. But the word Epiphanes means glorious or illustrious. So he calls himself Antiochus the Glorious, Antiochus the Illustrious One. Verses 20 through 21 tells us that he was not very glorious not very illustrious. Speaking of the king of the Seleucid Empire, says, Then in his place one will arise who will send an oppressor through the jewel of his kingdom, yet within a few days he will be shattered, though not in anger nor in battle. In his place a despicable person, Antiochus Epiphanes, will arise, on whom the honor of kingship has not been conferred, but he will come in a time of tranquility and seize the kingdom by intrigue. Um, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown wrote that after a period of a reign of 12 years, which are few compared to the 37 years of Antiochus's reign, seeking the crown in the absence of, um, absence of Rome at Seleucus's son, says the heir Demetrius poisoned Seleucus. So one of the members of the Seleucus family was poisoned so that this Antiochus Epiphanes could come to power. So how did he come to power? It says by intrigue. He came to power by having a competitor to the throne poisoned. And that's when Antiochus Epiphanes came, comes to the throne in 175 B.C., he was a despicable person. Uh, verses 22 and 23 says that the overflowing forces will be flooded away before him and shattered, and also the prince of the covenant. After an alliance is made with him, he will practice deception, and he will go up and gain power with a small force of people. Okay. When we read this Prince of the Covenant, you might say to yourself, well, is this talking about Jesus somehow? This is before Jesus. This is before the Incarnation. So I do believe that the historians are right that this is not talking about Jesus. When we read this Prince of the Covenant, it's actually speaking about a child of Cleopatra, Jameson, Faustin, Brown. It says... Uh, Ptolemy Philometer, the son of Cleopatra, 
Antiochus's sister, who was joined in covenant with him, is the one that's being talked about. And he was too young to rule, so he had guardians, this Ptolemy Philotomer. He had guardians for while he was still yet a boy. Um, and then he was promised by Antiochus the Great as Cleopatra's dowry and marrying um, Ptolemy Epiphanes. But it, hence arose a war. Philometer's generals were vanquished and Egypt was taken by Antiochus. So as much as the Ptolemies wanted to stay in power, they wanted to stay in power and maintain their rule over Egypt, the northern kingdom, the Seleucids, take over and they finally conquer Egypt, taken over by Antiochus Epiphanes in 171 BC. Now, I'm going to read a section next of Daniel. And let me, let me just say it this way. The rest of this section is just about one battle conquest over another. But it's going to lead up to what we're going to study next, which is the persecution that happens uh, against the people of the Holy Covenant. Let's look at verses 24 through 28. This is talking about the ongoing conquest of Antiochus Epiphanes. In a time of tranquility, he will enter the richest parts of the realm, and he will accomplish what his fathers never did, nor his ancestors. He will distribute plunder, booty, and possessions among them, and he will devise his schemes against strongholds, but only for a time. Pause there for a second. Antiochus Epiphanes accomplished what the other rulers of the Seleucid Empire never could. The other rulers of the Seleucid Empire tried and tried and tried to conquer the Ptolemies, and they never succeeded. But once the vile man, this despicable person who comes into the kingdom by means of poisoning a competitor, it's through him he accomplishes what his fathers never did, and namely is dominating um, the land of Egypt and the Ptolemy Empire. Verse 25 and following. He will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south with a large army, so that the king of south will mobilize an extremely large and mighty army for war. But he will not stand, the Ptolemies will not stand, for schemes will be devised against him. Those who will eat his choice foods will destroy him, and his army will overflow, but many will fall down slain. As for both kings, their hearts will be intent on evil, and they will speak lies to each other at the same table, but it will not succeed, for the end is still yet to come at the appointed time. Then he, Antiochus Epiphanes, will return to his land with much plunder, but his heart will be set against the Holy Covenant, and he will take action and then return to his own land. And that gives us a lead-in to what's going to be studied next. Antiochus Epiphanes will set his heart, his power, his might against God Almighty and against the holy people of the covenant. 
we'll see how the Jews then fare underneath that persecution. Now, you might wonder where in history do we still have a, a celebration of this today? Um, to give you a little preview for the study next time, this Antiochus Epiphanes is so vile, so ruthless, that he then brings on a revolt of the Maccabees. And the Maccabees, in God's providence, succeed in freeing the Jewish people, especially Jerusalem, from the oppression of uh, the Seleucid Empire and Antiochus Epiphanes. And that's from which we get uh, the Jewish celebration of Hanukkah. I know this is difficult history to study. You might say, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, I, my ancestors uh, maybe weren't involved in any of this. What does this have to do with me? Can we just study what the Bible says about Jesus coming and dying for sins? Well, I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, God has a reason for putting this in the Bible. It, it, the Jewish people's history is our history because they are the ones who brought forth the Messiah into the world. Jesus the Messiah was born of the Hebrew people, born under the oppression of the Roman Empire because later we'll find out that Rome then comes into play and we'll look a little bit more at that next time. But this is part of the history of the Jewish people. So you could say it's, it's our history because we have a Messiah born of the Jews, even Jesus Christ our Lord. And God used uh, this Greek background as a foundation for the coming of the Messiah and for the spread of the gospel in the first century. The Greek um, translation of the Bible in the Old Testament spread throughout all of the, the promised land and even throughout all of the empire so that when that day of Pentecost comes and Peter speaks the Holy Gospel, yes, he speaks in tongues where they all interpret in their own language, but then the epistles written by the apostles and others and the gospel accounts written in Greek can all be understood and spread throughout the kingdom as the church is established. And God used that for the history of the church. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the amazing way that we see that your word is true, that your word can be trusted, that an angel sent by you unto Daniel can give the intricate details of so much world history before it even happened, that this angel even told of the birth of, of a great ruler of the Greeks, a division of the empire of the Greeks, and even the coming of the vile one who would persecute your people. Help us to remember that this history is important because it tells the history of your story, of the history that you have given throughout the world, leading especially into the most glorious time when you brought forth your Son, even Jesus Christ our Lord, into the world as our Lord and Savior. Help us, we pray, to receive this, your word, and to understand and have a greater history 
appreciation and also a greater appreciation, not just for some of your word, but all of your holy word, even these difficult portions. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's stand and sing 369, Worship Christ the Risen King. Let's stand and sing 369.